Boom, episode 147 of the Talking Bollocks podcast. Podcast? Yeah. Brought to you by Gow Loud. It's the me, Paddy Clow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm struggling hard any page. Yeah. The Rangers podcast here, the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's me, Tony Flower. It's me, COB. And this week we're joined by... By PJ Gallagher, that's me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. PJ, what's happening, pal? How's things? Yeah, all right. Yeah, thanks for having me. By the way, no, yeah, thanks geez. for coming in, PJ. I was talking to loads of people about just this week, and what what are they like, and what are they going to say and do to me, or whatever else. And like, it's amazing. <laughs> like, there's people that just people are mad for this podcast. Mm. It's more like supporting a football team, to be honest with you, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's great that though. Yeah. Like yeah. everyone we were, everyone that was talking says, "Oh, you're gonna love that, yeah, you're gonna love that," and they'll be slagging the whole off, you know. I'm saying, okay, yeah. that sounds like my kind of place. <laughs> yeah, there's people be, who'll be listening to this that won't be happy where you are on Friday night, PJ. Do you know what I mean? They'll be the rivals. That's what the, the football rivalry comes in then. Yeah. yeah. What, the late late? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you are flat in the late late. <laughs> yeah, flat out. I didn't know with the bilk and everything coming yeah, out. Yeah, everything's happening at once. Like, yeah. everything, like, I mean, everything's happening at once. So, like, the, I had two kids arrive. The book came out, making a documentary, doing the radio show. Doing working on another script and it all has to be done before Christmas. Like kids have to be raised before Christmas. No. <laughs> so it's like it's like never. It really is busy. I'm busier now than I've ever been, and yeah. it's 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 hard. Like, but it is great. You know, I, I mean, I don't know. It's been a long time at it to to stay this busy. You're kind of counting me blessings, you know. Yeah, and yeah. to feel good as well because there was a couple of years there, as you know, I was feeling like shit. So it's yeah. kind of it, it is good. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. It's been to be bleeding and occupied. Yeah. We've been giving out people doing nothing. PJ. Yeah. You know what I mean? Carden, you said you have a zinger. Yeah. So we have a we discussed off here what a zinger was. PJ and little either or would you rather kind of. Icebreaker eases into it, yeah. yeah. So, but we've also said that we've done 147 episodes, so I really, really, really now I know you're struggling. <laughs> I said this 50 episodes ago that we're struggling 100 episodes ago. So, uh, just bear with me, yeah. Would you rather be bald or grey? Someone said, Oh, yeah, grey, no problem, yeah. Grey is sexy, man, yeah. And I've got two bald brothers, so like, <laughs> definitely, so and they're both younger go. than me, so yeah, definitely, 100%. That's an easy one for me, grey. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, bald, you know, and Jim, I slag Jim every single day for being bald, and I have I know I'm thinning out a little bit, but that's age. That's not. That's not alopecia. That's not that weird <laughs> disease. So it's, like, so it's like. So I slag him every single day about it on the show. Every single day, baldy, whatever I can think of to slag him off for it. I'm because that's how juvenile I am. So. Grey, grey is dignified. Uh, Bald is Jim McCabe, and Jim McCabe's not dignified. You're not really grey neither, and you're, you're not really tin, tin, tin that much out on top. You're kind of holding it down well, PJ. A little bit, yeah, yeah. Better than Jim, anyhow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I'd go grey. I'd be a nice little silver fox, I'd say, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I went baldy on purpose there a few months ago, boys. I don't mind a little baldy head. Yeah, but like it's ah, proper it no hair, though. Not skin head. Oh, not a buzz cut. Skin head. Bald. Like you see, you have to, you need discipline to be bald. You need a lot of discipline to be bald. Yeah. Being grey, you can do anything. You still have hair. Yeah. I heard a little rumour, PJ. Someone <sighs> said that if you have your hair in your 20s, you're going to have it for the rest of your life. Maybe, yeah. I think well, so. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? I've only a week left of that, so hopefully it'll be all right. You know what I mean? We'll see Is how that, that goes. couldn't be true, could it? That's what, I've, it's a rumour right here. And it makes sense. And you know, I know that, uh, that's gone bald. They were gone bald I when they were 21. Cardin, we know some people hanging on about their life in their 20s. Do you? Yeah, me and you. I'm not obviously not going to say names on the podcast anyways. <laughs> right, and then I had another one. Right. 
Uh, would you rather have telekinesis or... PJ, tell me you know what telekinesis is. I do, yeah. Are, like, Moving I things with your yeah. brain, yeah. Or telepathy. The ability to read like, people's Telekinesis. Minds. Telepathy's too... Telepathy, like reading other people's yeah. minds, no, it's too creepy. Yeah. It's, like when, it's like when you say to the value, would you rather fly or be invisible? It's always like lad who says invisible. You know he's like the dirty little bastard. So we had so that before. We had that exact exactly one before. <laughs> <laughs> I know he said I'd rather fly there and said he'd go invisible. <laughs> ah, well, he's the dirty bastard then. <laughs> he's the pervert no, then. But, uh, it's always... Like in giving me logic, PJ, I always think about getting into banks and all. Do you get me? Or like getting into a post office. You know what he wanted to wank in post offices and banks. That's what he was saying. He wanted to stand there the at the counter. Bank. Going, yeah, you can't see me. There, see, it's disgusting. So, <laughs> so move things which are mind or... Read minds. So yeah. what can read minds get you? Give me a good example of a good pro what? to read minds like. Well, in fairness, he telekinesis. I think telekinesis. Yeah. So I'm moving things with my mind. So we can just move stuff. Which can be used yeah. for theft as well, I suppose. You can still take yeah. things out of people's pockets. Yeah. I don't know why we're talking about theft. Oh, I know, mean, yeah. We yeah. want to be Mostly careful, for PJ. practical jokes, I suppose. It's not really useful for anything, is it? Yeah. Unless yeah. you Maybe. don't want to grab the remote. That's the thing. It's the most middle-aged superpower. Yeah. Oh, the remote control. I don't want to... Yeah, I don't <laughs> want to grow remote control. Where's yeah. the dog lead? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right. So, PJ, have you got any singles? Have you got a would you rather for us? I'm going to put you on the spot. I feel right? like you would have some great ones, PJ. Jeez, oh, I don't know. Do I? See, when you say that now, you have to put the pressure on Yeah. Him. Now he has would to. You rather lose one knee or both her elbows <laughs> <laughs> rather lose one knee and limp like mad or look dumb like sorry you can walk normal and lose both your elbows now so you still have to use your hands but it'd be hard to fucking eat you know <laughs> I'll, take, I'll, I'll take the limp I'll take the limp so imagine it had no elbows you'd be fucking goose stepping down down the road you know what I mean oh. imagine trying to, you'd never be able to run again you'd never be able to eat <laughs> Oh, yeah. Now nah, I'm losing the knee. I'll, I'll, I'll take the knee. That's a great singer, by the way. That's Get rid of the knee. Yeah, fuck that. Yeah. Right. I'm sick of singers now. Right. right. Here's one then. Oh, here Would we you go. rather lose one knee completely <laughs> or lose one elbow and have two elbows in your right arm? You'd look really. I suppose it'd be handy. You could pick shit up from dropping that's, the radiator. That's good crack. That is. That's it? actually imagine bending the elbow again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like an extension on your yeah. hand, really, isn't it? <laughs> he's having great fun with his now, isn't yeah, he? He's gonna get carried away. Yeah. Watch you be in the middle of town. There's a big, deep story. I actually have a zinger for his place. <laughs> yeah. Right, PJ, what we do with every guest, yeah? Take us back to the start. What life was like for you growing up? Where you from? Yeah, I mean, it was a bit mad to put up mildly, to, you know? So I was, uh, I've told the story so many times, I don't know where you want me to start. Uh, but like, I started my life in Marino. Living in the basement floor of a house there in Marino. Um, and in between, right above us, there was like um, two Egyptian doctor lads. And on top of her, us, them again, there was another woman who never, who was, I always just knew was the woman in the nip. There was always sunbathing <laughs> in the nip. And that was, and that were, these are my youngest, earliest memories. And uh, both my folks, uh, they ran the pub just up the road. Uh, and they were kind of getting high on their own supply, I suppose. And then we moved to, uh, to Clontarf then, but with no explanation, we were moved into a, a house and then no one said that to us and I didn't realise at the time, but it was the beginning of a, an Eastern Health Board experiment at the time. Uh, Eastern Health Board was like the HSE then for in Dublin and uh, we had six men who had schizophrenia, mental illnesses move into our house. So me and my ma, my da, the dog and my sister all lived on one side of the house and the six men who were very, very sick, they lived on the other side of the house. Both my parents were still alcoholics. 
Um, How old are you at that stage, Fiji? Nine, I think. Nine or ten, I think. Uh, so, so it was like your formative years, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, and then all of a sudden we were this very strange house. Like <laughs> We'd come straight out of Marino where I kind of felt normal. Like, you know, that was because we just felt normal. And then moved into Clontarf and didn't really understand, you know, at the time, class differences or anything. Mm. You don't understand those things until it shif- shifts and, you know, society, whatever. And uh, then all of a sudden you kind of felt different to your neighbours, obviously, because they're all just living regular Clontarf lifestyles and doing whatever they do. And then there was us and my folks who are fucking nuts and then these six lads who are had their own problems and uh, you're trying to function in that. You kind of just always felt like you were so much the other. And I was adopted as well. So I, like my birth mother was in Bespera House. So I guess from the very, very start, I always thought there's nowhere for me to fit in. You know, I was born and then in my mind then, I know the story now. I didn't know the story then. In my mind then it was like, so they didn't want me. And then... I went to this house and I'm only barely getting by in this house. So, you know, my man's so busy here. I'm kind of second in this house. The drink is forced before me in this house. Then I went to school and I was shit at school. Discalculate. So I thought I'm shit at this as well. And uh, I'm writing in the book. Like one of the things is you realize the only thing you can do for a few years is be a bollocks. And you think, well, it'll be a really good bollocks then. Uh, You know. Uh, and I went, I suppose I went hard at it. <laughs> um, uh, and that was, that was it. So, I mean, I kind of always just felt uh, like an outsider everywhere. What was it like and living in that house, PJ? It was fucking mad. And I mean, I, 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 in France, even in Marino, as a young kid, it was mad. Because if you came out of our estate and turned right, you were in Ballybock and everyone thought you were a posh cunt. And if you came out and turned left and you went to Clontarf, everyone thought you were a scumbag. Yeah. So you're right in this weird zone. Yeah. And then you're in this house and then you come down the stairs and you go left and me folks are in there gargling and you come around you go right and you're in with all these other fellas who are really sick. And he was so, all like sitting down having dinner together and all. No, so this is it. Uh, they, they had one room like a... Like, it was kind of like, essentially, it was like a care home. I just didn't know. I just Mm. thought we were just in a very big house. Mm. Um, So they had their own sitting room, and we had our own sitting room. And then they all shared, like, two bedrooms. There was three of them in each bedroom. and uh, Yeah, so they would eat and do all their stuff and watch TV and have all that. And then on the other side of the other house, like, my dad just sat there. He had this big armchair, and what I called the magic can of Guinness. I never, ever saw him go to the... Never saw him open a can. Never saw him finish a can. Never saw him go to the fridge. Never saw him go to the off license. Never saw him. Leave, but there was always fucking Guinness in that can. Mm. Always, like it was the magic can, just a magic can. And uh, he didn't do much. But my ma was just flat out. Like she looked after him, cut their hair, cut their toes, you know, toenails, fingernails, fed them, gave them their pills. Like went looking for them when they went missing, which they did a lot. Uh, like I mean everything, you know. Like they say farmers. You know, work 24-7. There's always feeding to do. and all. You know, she did all of that for these men. She did everything for them. Absolutely everything. And all and, that while being an alcoholic. And all that while still drinking. Yeah. Uh, so, to be honest, there wasn't much rules in our house then. Like, there just wasn't time to implement rules, you know. I imagine it's like, you know, let's, years, be the generation just before mine, some lads grew up when there was 13, 14 kids in the house. And mm. so they just went out and entertained themselves. And it was a bit like that for us. It kind of, well, for me, my sister was younger. She was kind of in the house more. I, but I was, from a very young age, just out, doing everything I could to not be in that house. And mm. doing everything I could to not let anyone see that house. I was very ashamed, you know, very ashamed. Because mm. you're in you're in Clontarf and you're hanging around in other houses there and they like it's such a world apart. Like and 
going to school there, and my big fear was, you know, if I if parent teacher meetings and stuff, because it was in St Paul's at Marini, like they'd say, you know, we, you know, if I got into trouble, my big fear was they'd call my parents and my parents would show up because mm. they'd be plastered, you know. And I was there going, well, good. Then they would, after a while, then they wouldn't tell me parents anymore because they knew yeah, no good was coming of it, you know. Mm. So then they let me do anything in school as well. So I kind of had this life of no rules and not fitting in and uh, not really having a place for myself. So I knew very early on I wasn't going to finish school. Like the day I was 16, I went in, they told me to get a haircut. I was like, oh, fuck this. I was never going back to school. Uh yeah, and I, I mean that was kind of where life began for me. Yeah, it, I, I, I've only I'm uh, I've only started reading your book, so I haven't finished it yet. But I like what you say in it as well because obviously it's called Madhouse. The book is, and in the book you're talking about everybody thinks they live in a madhouse. You literally lived in a madhouse. Yeah, yeah, because you know you say that to people. Yeah. You go, oh, my house was a madhouse. Because I tell you, my goes, house oh, is yeah. a madhouse. But that's everyone says, oh yeah, I know what you're saying. You're like, no, you don't. Like, yeah. You literally don't. Like the lads who was like getting thrown out of people's gardens was in the bedroom next to mine, you know? Yeah. So, I, and it was never the same six men. They changed. So it was always six, but it was different six. Mm. Some Rotating, of them died like, yeah. or moved on. Or at one stage, we had one woman living with us and those five men uh, who was kind of the most, I mean, you know, quotation marks, normal, you know, for want of a better word, of out of everybody. Uh, and she lasted she was with us for years and years she she seems totally like off with all the other ones like she had a job and did all this stuff when the other ones didn't you know the other lads were just I think a lot of them were maybe people who had sort of a nervous breakdown or had some depressive episode and they were institutionalised very young before there was any real care and then they became worse and worse and worse and some of them were treated very badly in care and all that Yeah. and then somehow down the road they ended up in our house Uh and, and like, I mean, they were properly sick, you know, people who thought the IRA were in the attic, people mm. who thought there was a gorilla in the house following them, uh, one man who thought the person from his last care home was beating him up in his sleep, uh, another fellow who thought there was a dog in his belly, and he, it's very hard to relate to other kids, because, you know, other kids are saying, oh, my dad's doing me head in, and, you know, my man's making me hoover, and I was like, yeah, my man made me take a man out of the hedge yesterday, mm. uh, or threw me in the window to stop a, a naked elf drowning in the bath. And, you know, so just, yeah, I, mm. I very, un, it's only now actually that I'm talking about it so much that I'm kind of realizing realize how mad it, it was. Yeah. I never really thought about it. And then when I started talking about it, I thought it was kind of funny, you know, and I tried to put it into stand-up and it doesn't work in stand-up because mm. you say it in stand-up, there's no point of reference. Yeah. people crying in the crowd. Yeah, it's more like, tragic. The well, they're just looking at you going, what are you yeah. talking yeah. about? Like, yeah. what are you talking, there's no, it's tragic. That's... Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, and it's the lack of a reference point. Mm. Like you know, I, I I've been saying to people like you, you do stand up. You go, oh, I was walking down the road the other day, and I met a friend of mine from school, and they picture themselves walking down the road, and meeting yeah. a friend from school. When you say I came down the other morning and was a lad who thought there was a dog in his belly standing at the end of the stairs, people there's no people get thrown by it. Yeah. So I, I, that's why we kind of wrote the Madhouse the live show was to try and because you can tell the story but it needs its own platform it doesn't work in yeah. as five minutes of a one hour stand up bit where you start going on to 
you know, talking about whatever else you talk about in stand up after. You know? mm. Yeah, and the worst part is like literally at your prime development years as a child growing up, and then all this blade madness is going on around you. Yeah, yeah. And then you go to school and they're like, sit down, you have to be quiet. I was like, I've never been quiet. Yeah. Like, I've never even been, I've never been in a quiet house. Yeah. Uh, you have to sit down to think and you can't be disruptive. And like, I was the quietest person in my house, you know? So, so yeah, like, I don't, I, I can't just sit there and. I, I, it just wasn't for me. At that environment, I was never going to get on in that environment. And like, and then there was all like the issues with I had with numbers. I still have all that stuff and just sitting in rooms. And I think a lot of people, they can't sit down and think. And I realised that about myself way too late. I can't sit down and think. I can't sit down and write a book. I have to move around the room and scribble shit on the wall and, you know, do post-it notes and stick them everywhere. And then talk to someone else and get help for get stuff formatted I, I can't sit down in that environment you know mm. that's just not how I function you know and there's mm. loads of people like that but back then you were just sent home told to shut up or, yeah yeah uh, so uh, the, the first time you got your left skill what was the plan there I, I, don't know, I just wanted to go and I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I went, the first thing, my mom was just like, madly enough, I told her I'm leaving school and the first thing she said was, oh, thank God, because she was sick of going to the school. <laughs> so she was like, oh, thank God. At one point she went up and says, are you sure there's not another PJ Gallagher here? Because there couldn't be one lad that's in there much trouble all the time. Mm. So, she, so she was like, whatever, but you're not sitting around the house. And in fairness, I was never going to just sit around mm. the house. I was always active. So I went into a warehouse called Lighting Dimensions, uh, just, I, I want, knew I wanted to do something to do with show business. I just didn't know what it was. I knew I wanted to do something where there was, you know, bands or music or stage. And I just didn't know what that was. And this place, they built lights, literally built lights for gigs and all that. And I went in and uh, asked for work experience and just stayed there sweeping the floor and cleaning up till they gave me a job. And Jason Bourne uh, was working at one of the desks. That was his job. And I met him and he was the one that started talking about stand-up comedy and put the ideas in my head and... He was. He always wanted to be a stand-up. He was like, oh, Billy Connolly's brilliant and this lad's brilliant. Mm. Brendan Grace and all these real old school lads. But, but I didn't even really know what it was. Yeah. You know? And he started doing gigs after a few years and he didn't want to do them on his own. And then he asked me, would I go and do sketches with him? And at the time, I didn't even want to do that. I just thought, I was like, why would I do it? He was like, oh, well, if we do this sketch, I'll give you like 50 quid. I was like, 50 fucking quid to go to town? Yeah, we'll do that. It's <laughs> <laughs> like 50 fucking quid. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then it's kind of, I never thought you'd get a career out of it, but I remember starting doing gigs with him and thinking, like, we can go to town on a Wednesday night into the comedy cellar, do 15 minutes between us. They'll give us like 30 pounds. We can split, have a load of points, which you could get at the time, and go home. It's like, this is, if the this dream, is all yeah. it ever is, we're, yeah. we're having the crack. Yeah. This is the, the crack, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it didn't stay. Was like that, that not a daunting view for you back then, though? Thinking about like comedy and stuff like that. Yeah, I get. Yeah, it was. It, I, I mean, I, I, again, if it wasn't for Jason, I never would have done it because Jason yeah. was the one. He was the one that want. He was the ambitious one, the hungry one. You know, he was the one that wanted to do stand up, and he had it in his head. He was going to do these gigs. He was writing material and stuff long before he'd ever done a gig. Like he had, a, he was thinking about it. Uh, whereas I was just, I don't know, like, you I, don't know I don't know what to like. do. Like, I don't know what to do. I didn't feel like an adult. I was probably 16, don't forget. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah. I, so I didn't feel like an adult. I didn't know what was going on. And I'd just done this sound and lighting course to try and meet people. And 
I spent most of that time just, I couldn't believe I was lucky enough to get into pubs. It was like, just brilliant. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, then, I, and then I'm sweeping floors and then I'm meeting Jason and I'm hanging around with lads who are a bit older than me. I just was having fun. Mm. So when he says, you only have to get on stage and make a few faces or whatever, I was like, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I don't, I, I, we weren't doing stand-up. It was stupid sketches. It wasn't, yeah, yeah, it wasn't yeah. like what it ended up being, you know, like Jason did all the hard work in stand-up. We do two sketches at the end of the show. And go home. So, so you were just seen as a handy few quid. Yeah, and I'll never forget. Like mm. I, I remember we were later, years later, we were in the international, and we were on the top of the stairs, and Tommy Tiernan said he got this new agent called Don Sedgwick, and we were all laughing. An agent, like for comedy. What the fuck is that for? Like an agent. <laughs> <laughs> like you're gonna make you like you're gonna do this forever. Like it was kind of funny, you know. Uh, little did we know. Like, yeah. I don't know if you've heard of him since, but he's actually doing well. <laughs> he's doing all right. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah. And, and it was only then Jason, sorry, Jason went to England to try and make a, a break for himself, not permanently, but over and back. And he was doing gigs. And then he was like, you know, started working out a little bit for him. He started doing all these uh, Carol's tours and all these tours around Ireland and stuff. And then he was like, oh, I'm not giving you my money anymore. It's more than a laugh now. Uh, and I still hadn't got the balls to do stand-up. I was like, I couldn't do it. So I went to drama school here in the Gaiety School. That was my thing. I was working in a, a chemical plant in Tipperary for a while. And uh, someone says, I'll get you an audition for this. And I literally got up that morning and went, I just didn't go to work. I got a bus straight back to Dublin and went, fuck that. Like, I'll do anything now. I have to try something, you know. Uh, and went to drama school for two years. All just trying to get the motivation and the guts more than anything else. Just to get the courage to kind of stand in front of people and talk. And and it worked. Like I mean, it might it did work. I I did end up doing it. It took me years, but I did end up doing it. And uh, but I never loved it. Like that's the thing. People think you know you get into stand because you love it. Like I I never loved it. I never went to a gig I wasn't in. Oh, I couldn't be fucking arse. That's to me is like going and watching people doing overtime. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, like I just couldn't do anything else. I, I just wanted to find something I could be good at. That was my thing. I always yeah. felt shit at everything. You know, I wanted to play for the dubs. I can't catch a fucking ball unless it's with my face. You know, I wanted to do all these things. I wanted to race motorbikes professionally. I wanted to do all these things. I couldn't do any of them. Like, just it was just failure after failure after failure. And then I realized, oh, you can tell a story, though. It's like, yeah, but you don't really like telling stories. I was like, but you can fucking do it. Mm. <laughs> so, it was, so it became a different mission. It was just, just find something you're good at. Like, just find something you can, you can feel good that you can do well. And you won't feel like such a piece of shit, you know? Uh, and that's why I think I went into stand-up. And that's why I got real competitive with stand-up then. Yeah. I was kind of using it to value myself. I was getting, like, if I got on stage and you and, me and you two were on the, at the bill and if you just got up one by one and I got up after you and I didn't get the biggest laugh of the night, I'd fucking beat myself up the whole night. Mm. Yeah, fuck that. You're fucking shit. Fuck that. I'd be so pissed off and so upset over it. Like, because it was just confirming you're not good enough over and over again so I was like really throwing myself into it then never watching anyone else just get up blow someone off the stage and go home that's how I felt good that's what I had to do did you feel like that even back then or are you feeling like that now when you look back you're kind of going oh I wasn't feeling good enough or did you feel it no, in the I moment felt, I, it, back then I did yeah, yeah. 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 It was, I, knew, I was literally living for, that was where I was finding my value was. that's where like, you're getting your fulfillment get up so yeah festival shows if there's five years on the bill at the end of the night, when they go, like, ladies and gentlemen, they go through the names. If you didn't get the biggest cheer, if I got the biggest cheer, I'd go home feeling all right. If I didn't, felt like shit. Mm. And I'd never stay after a gig. So, like, I, I hate the, the pressure of gigs. You know, like people, I, I hated the pressure of them. I wasn't able to take it. So I'd tell whoever I was doing the support with, John Lane mostly it was, 
And I'd say to him, my last joke is going to be this. And when you hear that joke, open the fire exit and put the car at the door. And he'd be like, yeah. So I'd start and I'd be there and I'd just say, hey, thanks a million. Good night. Put the mic in the stand. Run out the door, get into the driver's seat and go. I couldn't face the crew. I couldn't face the staff. I couldn't face talking to people. Couldn't do anything. Why was that? I don't know. It just was too too much pressure. I just hated it. I just had to get out of there. I felt like it was I felt like I was trapped. I felt like I had to get out of there. Well, considering you you had to be on stage making a room full of people laugh, yeah, which is one of the hardest things to do. Yeah, and you couldn't even face saying goodbye to the doorman. No, I couldn't. No, I couldn't do it. Had to fucking get out. Had to just run, like straight out the foot. Like the car parked at the door, ready to go. Door open, in and gone. Out every every single night when it was on my own shows. Mm. gone when I did festival shows I'd plan the route through so I wouldn't have to see anyone uh, I'd never sit in the green room with the other accident and I just couldn't handle that either I'd always sit with the crew and the staff uh, and then get up on stage do me bit uh, off see you thanks a million good night straight off out Ivy Gardens running down Harcourt Street down, once I get as far as Stephen's Green I'd stop running or I'd stop walking fast and go right that's stunned it's okay Go home. Oh, that's mental. Every that. single night. So you never and just that went felt on for that 23 hole. years, like, you know. Yeah. Did you not, <laughs> like, like, did you not feel that hole and then be like, oh, I just want to get down the hole game, everyone? And no, I get, honestly, I guess once I got away from it, once I was like, then. Yeah, yeah. then. So I, if I was doing a gig in Bantry, I'd, in Cork, I'd get into the van, get out. Once I knew I was away, you know, turn the music down. Then I'd sit there and go, oh, fuck yeah, that's all right. And then I'd enjoy it a little bit. Yeah. It's mad. But, what was your first yeah. stand-up comedy gig like? If you're feeling like that after yeah. every show, like every stand-up show, you did, what was your first <laughs> yeah, one like? Yeah, yeah. Fucking hell. Well, it was kind of shy, but I do remember the first one. I do rem- The one thing I remember the first one was I was absolutely shitting myself, you know? Uh, and got up on stage and it went terrible because everybody's first gig goes terrible. Yeah. Mm. Anyone that says anything different is, is talking shit, yeah. you know? You get away, and it, even if you think it goes brilliant, you do a year stand-up, you look back and go, that was terrible. <laughs> uh, and it went terrible, but I do remember the next guy got on and within a few minutes, they were all laughing at him and I do remember thinking, oh, this is I, this is actually okay. If you do terrible, they just forget about you. Mm. And if you do great, they cheer and fucking clap and mm. roar, well done. It's like, that's an environment now where it doesn't work, you're ignored. And if it does work, you get a round of applause just for turning up to work. You know, mm, <laughs> that's the thing yeah. about stand-ups, you know. Yeah. You haven't said a word yet, you get clapped onto the stage, you get a round yeah. of applause just for turning up to work. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I can deal with that. <laughs> I can deal with that. And the clubs were small and people didn't know about them and it was neat, so it was easier. It was, when your name was on the door, that's when the real pressure, after Naked Camera, that's when it started to yeah. really feel like a weight, you know. Mm. That's when you started thinking, oh, I'm going to prove to myself and now everybody how shit I am at this, yeah. you know. That's I think... Co- uh, Naked cameras what really put you out there and announced it to the whole country. Yeah, how yeah. Does that, how does that come about and what was that like? I was only saying to Terence today, like that's like that's one of the biggest things I watched in my childhood and like Jake Stevens and the Dirty Granny and everything, oh, everything like. Oh, you know what I mean, shy. like people are still quoting fucking Jake Stevens today. PJ, that was probably about twenty years ago. Like. I know, yeah. I still get a kick out of it. Like Halloween is just but gone, and I still get a kick after every hallow every Halloween. Someone sends me a picture of themselves on social media dressed as Jake Stevens or the Dirty Owen or whatever, you know. Yeah, and I do love that now. I really do, you know, because because I was doing I was doing stand up ten years before that happened, you know. Mm. Uh, and I remember doing stand-up for 10 years and thinking, I'm getting nowhere. Like, I was actually in ruining people's nights, you know. People be out for a day. You know what I mean? People be out for a day. And they'd be sitting there and then 
they didn't know that there was a club starting and then you were like oh well, welcome out tonight what's the crack what are you doing here like, no, I don't know we're trying to talk and you're like oh man this is fucking shit this is shit you know like and then trying to make them laugh and you're like this is what am I doing 10 years of this shit uh, and I got to a point I went right I'm not doing this anymore I have to get me shit I was doing motorbike courier all day or working on the chemical plant or doing whatever I was doing all working in factories I was trying to do everything to and then, but motorbike courier was great because you could work for one courier company, earn a few quid, print a few posters. At that time, we go around with a bucket of paste and paper and put them up around Dame Street and all. Uh, and then quit your job for two weeks. And they'd always take, they had to take you back, you know. There's no email. They needed us, you know. <laughs> and like, we were the quickest way to get a message to someone. So they fucking needed us, you know. Uh, and that was a great way to earn money. Uh, so that was, I remember doing that and then... Um, after 10 years, I was like, right, I have to I have to get my shit together. And then realising I had no education. I'd never been to college. I'd never done a leave insert. I'd never done a junior cert. I'd done an inter cert and barely passed it. And uh, I was like, what am I... I'm feeling, again, feeling shit. And I thought, right, I'll, I don't know what I was thinking. Whatever money I had, this is, I'm going to go away on my motorbike and I'll get my head together. I'll get, I think, clear. I'll get my head together. And just before I left... I got a phone call from a guy going, we're making a show, a hidden camera show for RTE. Would you be interested in trying out for it? And I went, I said, no. Is there a hidden camera RTE? That'd be shite. Like, uh, so I said, no. And I told him on the phone, I'm, I'm not doing comedy anymore. I'm actually finished. I, I, I kinda, I'm getting my shit together. I went off around on the bike down as far as Bosnia and Kosovo and all this. And then this was 2003. Uh, and then came home and realized, well, whatever money I didn't have leaving, I really don't have yeah. it now. And I rang them again and says, you're not still by any chance looking for someone? And he goes, yeah, well, we are actually because Dave McSavage just left in a huff. I went, that <laughs> so I said, yeah, I'll give it a go. Wouldn't be like him, would it? <laughs> yeah. 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 So I went up to Fibsborough. They asked me, had they any ideas? I was there, no, I don't. I, I, I mean, I just was ringing to see if you were still looking for people. And I says, oh, if you get me a bag of cash and I'll see if I can buy stuff for cash walking around Fibsborough or something. That, that was the first thing that came to mind. So they turned up with a bunch of photocopy tenors and says, there you go, we'll follow you. And uh, I walked into the real estate agent and says, oh, I want to buy a gaff for cash, whatever. I thought there was nothing in it. And I was shaking with the fucking fear of it, like just a whole lot. And uh, that ended up being the very first sketch broadcast mm. ever on Naked Camera. And that was the beginning then, you know. Uh, I remember talking to Liam. I was like, what made you even think about doing this? And he goes... Uh, he says he, he bought all this hidden camera gear to make a primetime documentary on crime in Dublin at the time. And he was sitting with some gangster and the gangster pulled a gun on him. And he says, right, well, I'm not doing this documentary because <laughs> I just had kids and I'm not a gangster. Like, I'm just a fellow with a camera. Uh, so he said he pitched it to RTE. Like, I've spent all this money. Would you be interested in a hidden camera show? And he says, oh, I'll try and do it. So somewhere out there, there's a Dublin gangster. I owe a lot of thanks to him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and that became the first sketch. And then... I mean, the, I, I, the rest kind of is history because we did that first year. And I kind of went under the radar. And I remember so clearly, like, the first year was, like, that's our man from the telly. The second year, that's Jake Stevens. And the yeah. third year was, oh, that's PJ. Yeah. Mm. And it was that sort of progression. And I was like, fuck me, something's happening here now. Yeah. You know, something's happening here. And then we started doing Vicar Street gigs and started doing the tours. And I was like, holy fuck, like, this is, it's... I can't believe this, you know. I literally can't believe this. You know, mm. you guys know what it's like. You know, the first time you sit in front of a big audience, like mm. you know, when it's your name in the door, there's there's no feeling like that. You know, you're, you, there is a feeling of I've arrived. Like you think it might all disappear, 
doesn't mean you're successful. You've made a mark. Like you've done something. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everybody wants to do something big, and you do think, oh, I've done something big. Uh, Fake or shoot, really humbles you though. Yeah. And the sign when you come down the stairs. Yeah, you know yeah. Sign. Doesn't it? Yeah. The, the Shakespeare quote. Basically, yeah. you're, you're brilliant for an hour or two. You're brilliant you, on the stage, you know, yeah. when you go off it, basically. When you go off the stage, you're a normal bleed civilian. And that is it though. Yeah. And that's what I loved about that. And then there was parts of comedy I loved, you know? Like, I loved that you could do Vicar Street and people screaming at you. And then you'd go and do Leech from the next day and there'd be three albums up in the audience and they're all going, what are you thinking they were a magician or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's very humbling. Like, you never, Ireland never lets you get Yeah, do you know what you get to? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, where did Jake Stevens come from, PJ? You can't just brush past naked camera because it was fucking gigantic. It was, yeah. it was huge. Jake came from, right, I was walking out in, I can't say because it'll identify him, but I was walking on a building site, right? And I was walking with a lad who... All he talked about was riding and sex and fucking... He was like... We all know someone like that. Yeah. Well, yeah. he hated bad language, right? That was his thing. He hated bad words. So he used to go through the paper and he'd be like, oh, look at her though. On her. <laughs> that was his thing. I'd love to grab her by the... I'd love to give her out. And I swear, I never thought it was funny. I was like, I'd fucking kick him in the head and I'd hate this guy. He drove me up the fucking wall. He drove me up the fucking wall. And we were stuck together for... Days and all, he'd be there. Oh, yeah, look at that. Oh, my God. <laughs> I remember then we were doing, we were supposed to do Naked Camera out in Blanchardstown, right? In this phone shop. And this guy, we got told, you can't do it. Whatever was set up, we can't do it. He's after having a death in the family, you can't do it. It's like, well, what are we going to do now? Like, we'd a crew out, uh, a, and we had a bag of reject clothes out of the RTE room. And I says, listen, I don't think there's anything in it. Uh, but I'll just put on one of these suits out of the bag and I'll pretend to be him. And I was, you know, how are we going? I'll yeah. just do this shit, see what happens. So I went into the shop and I was like, I want to get a, a whatever. I was walking Blanchard's and walk, just anything. I, I want to get one of those for the, and people were like, what are <laughs> And I remember the crew all laughing. I was like, do you think there's something in that? Like, yeah, they were like, I'm yeah, there's something in that. And we went on the dart then for the day. And I remember sitting down next to this bloke. <laughs> And, I, and he was the nicest fella ever. I was there going, how's it going? Where are you off to? And he was like, oh, yeah, I'm off to, out to Cologne. You want to off to school, off to get, meet some ladies. And he was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I'm going up to the cafeteria cart to get myself a coffee. Would you like one? And he just goes, you're on the dirt, you lunatic. There's no cafeteria cart. <laughs> and, uh, and we were all happy. We all just had this great day. And we thought, okay, we'll stick with this. You know, there, there might be something in it. Mm. Jeez, there really was. Like, you know. Mm -hmm. it, I remember that. Uh, so when we were in school, this is how bad it was when we were in school. We used to do PE in Fairview Park. Yeah. yeah. So we were there and you come in, you had to be filming a sketch. I don't know what you were doing in Fairview, but you come over and the producer... Oh, I remember this. At the basketball court, yeah, they kicked yeah. the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah. What happened? I remember that they kicked the shit out of me. <laughs> well, yeah. They gave me a hiding. Oh, a proper man. hiding. They got out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think you'd remember. Yeah, I, how could I forget you cunts? You <laughs> fucking destroyed me. So, I, you fucking, I went over and says, yeah, yeah, we're like, whatever. I can't remember what there was a sketch. So the yeah. producer came up and goes, right, we'll do a little sketch. You are all just sitting around and we are sitting on the bench, you know, hopefully like, <laughs> puff yumplets, yeah? 
and he goes, "I'll come over and I'll give her all that." And then like you hop on me and stuff like that. And I said, "Push me around a bit," and I was there, and don't be oh. afraid. Like give me a good push around. And they were like, "Oh yeah, no, brother." Penance, I swear, <laughs> it got out of hand quick. It got out of hand quick. They hopped on. Come over, DJ Gallo. Oh, I got quick. I got a boot in the head, and I got kicked in the ribs twice. I was lying there. He was like, and everyone thought he was messing. He's like, "I'm in bits. I can't breathe." He come over. He's like, "What's wrong with the you today?" And he's he's waving the newspaper around. They all just put pin me down. He got grabbed in a headlock and fucked on the floor and dancing. They battered me. And then they were always like lying there. I couldn't get up. Everyone thought he was messing. So I can't fucking breathe. Yeah. Oh, that is gold. How <laughs> have you never told that story before? Oh, because I had a feeling I was going to meet him and I'd say, oh, he, he'd right. never forget well, that. I, oh, he'd never remember that. I and I can't believe he's not, who forgets that? I can do you for assault. <laughs> <laughs> I know the uncle as well grabbed you in the headlock he he knew the second you yeah. were like you pushed me around he just pinged and he was like yeah yeah, right, we'll see. yeah. yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> you hadn't even got the newspaper up in the air and you I had you in the headlock and threw on the ground oh. yeah I got out of hand I remember being in the middle of this being like yeah oh, that's PJ oh, it's all on camera and then I was thinking to myself oh. we're going to be on the telly it's going to be great yeah it? yeah funny enough that didn't make it never <laughs> made it <laughs> fucking hell yeah so after naked camera what comes next after that then? The concussion. <laughs> yeah, the concussion, yeah. Matter, yeah. Uh, head injury clinic for a while. Uh, after that then, uh, I did, what did I do? Oh yeah, after that was the first kind of career mistake actually, do you know? Because uh, after that we were, people there, we kept going into RT with new ideas, you know, we wanted to do this, and do, they were like, you go in with five ideas and they just kept saying, yeah, give us another naked camera. We're like, we can't, like, we can't get away with it anymore. Yeah, because like, people we try, know we, you now. We, yeah, we just couldn't get away with it. And is that the and reason why you stopped that, yeah? Yeah, yeah, we tried the fourth one just to sh- just to prove we couldn't get away with it anymore. We tried the fourth one. Because people yeah. are aware of it now. Because everybody yeah. knew and, it. You and know? The, the things that worked was like the dirty granny and all, but people knew that then, do you and, know what I mean? Yeah, and also on the last year, it was the first year people had phone cameras. Yeah. And then it was the first time we started to do stuff and people would stand next to you with phone cameras. And yeah. never, they never existed before, you know? Hard to imagine a world without them now, mm. but they didn't exist. And then, so we didn't to get away. And then again, we went new ideas, and they went, "Ah, oh, we still leave the hidden camera stuff." And we says, "We'll do it in the states. Send us around the states, and we go and do it." And it didn't fucking work. So we went off around the states, and it didn't work because I think we forgot the biggest. The, the, there's five big characters in Naked Camera, and the biggest character in it is Dublin City. That's the big character. That's the one that you had to have in every fucking sketch. Mm. And you're like, even when we weren't shooting in Dublin, when we were shooting in Cork or Limerick or Belfast, it was the Dublin character that worked in the outside of that element. We just didn't see it that way at the time. Mm. So when we went to the States, we took that away. And Dublin people, like, you go to the States, they're just not the same. And no. Dublin people are, were gas. When, doing Naked Camera renew your faith in people. Because you go up to someone in North Strand or Smithfield and you say, oh... I need to find me monkey. And someone won't go, fuck off. They'll go, like, they don't want to help you, but they can't not help you. So we notice they go, well, where'd you, start? Where'd you put the monkey, you fucking agent? <laughs> and you're like, well, I don't know. He was in me jumper and then he ran. He's like, oh, monkey up your jumper. And he'd help you. He'd start helping you. You know, I have things to do. I can't be helping you looking for a monkey all day. And you're like, uh, but he was, he would do it, you know. He's there going, I fucking can't now. I'm going to give you half an hour looking for this fucking monkey. And then I'm going, right, you fucking here. Where'd you put the fucking thing? Uh, and he'd, he'd still stay with you, you know. And I was, that that was what was lost. Nobody else, it doesn't happen anywhere else, you know. Or bigger, better still, they thought they were winding you up, you know. Yeah. Which was always good crack. Yeah. Uh, so that once that was gone, it didn't really work. And we had our moments and... When we look back on it now, compared to what some of the shows get in the current years, it would be considered a success. But back then, like it, 
the panel and Podjam Raj and mm. Naga Camera and Des Bishop's shows, like compared to them, it was a flop. So that yeah. was the first mm. career kind of mistake. And I remember thinking, oh man, I'm in a bad way here. I'm fucked now. <laughs> you know, because yeah. you start doing stand up and the numbers are dropped and, you know, it started to become a little bit old. And then you start thinking, and the same old demons come back in. I see, yeah, caught out, yeah, shit at this. Mm. You know, mm. you, you aren't very good. And, uh, then we did Meet the Neighbours, which I absolutely loved. I actually thought that was a great old show. I'm very proud of that show, but nobody else seemed to like it. <laughs> <laughs> nobody else liked it but me. <laughs> but I did. Uh, yeah, and then after that, then it was right. I just focused on the stand-up and the DVDs and the, all that. I'm really, really pushed on it again, you know, because that's where the, valida the validation kept coming from, even when I wasn't enjoying it. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew I could keep scoring points with it. Yeah, uh, like sign, signing the deal with Universal for me was huge, you know, and uh, getting that done and and fuck me, like there was day, there was years, lads. The money was lovely. Oh man, it's all gone. I'm such a big <laughs> fuck. Like, you know, it's all gone. The, my God, the money was lovely. Oh man, like there was checks coming in for ten grand some days. He didn't know what they were for. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I don't, I don't remember working for them. Like, I don't know what that's for. Like, it was like. Escobar shit yeah. you know what I mean I was like I didn't know Barry and the money and all you know what I mean doing gigs for Bank of America lunchtime gigs for five grand like half an hour like what the fuck this is fucking mental I remember thinking I'm never gonna this is I'm not even doing that like you know what I mean and yeah it's all gone now but like it was good while it lasted good while it lasted and like I, and then I look back on what I spent it on and it is a bit like I'm I mean, I, I went all around the world. I raced motorbikes for years. I did all that. So I don't regret any of it, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't think I'd do it differently. I, you could do it smarter, but it wouldn't be it wouldn't yeah. be the life it was. It's all about living the life. And did you have a bad accident with a motorbike? Yeah, yeah, racing. Yeah, yeah. I really fucked myself up, yeah. I couldn't walk for six months. That really, that messed me up. And I broke my shoulder to pieces. Like, you can see me collarbone there still oh, sticks out. PJ, fuck that. Give me a bit of a warning here. A bit of discretion here. Fucking hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a knee where your shoulder should be. Yeah, yeah. That's what he was asking Fucking hell, PJ. Yeah, yeah. So I had a lot of crashes. Yeah, racing. What happened there? I myself a lot. Racing crashes. Yeah, just racing crashes and getting hurt and breaking bones and... A lot of surgeries and all that sort of stuff. But uh, racing, you see, for me, was the ultimate. That was Racing was the one place I was never afraid. Yeah. I loved racing. Mm. I loved it. I remember reading the Steve McQueen quote, like, racing is life and everything else is just waiting. And I, I, that's, I still think that's so true. Like, like you get into racing motorbikes, there's nothing in the fucking world like it. You sit on a bike and you're sitting on the start line waiting for the, the lights to go off and you've 25 other fucking head cases around you all they care about is being half a second ahead of you they don't care about anything else going into that first corner you're all fighting for 12 inches of tarmac and all that matters is the guy in front of you and the guy behind you and there, there is nothing else you know people talk about mindfulness man this is it's high speed fucking meditation nothing in the world feels like it going around corners with your fucking knee on the ground and feeling the fucking visor shaking then you get to a point sometimes you do six, seven laps and you, you don't feel like you're even riding anymore. It's like you're, you're in this autopilot, getting faster and faster and faster and feeling it getting better and better and better. Feeling that lads can't go near you, leaving lads behind you, knowing they're going behind, thinking you don't even fucking belong in the same airspace as me. Like there's nothing feels like it. Seeing the checkered flag, going out there on a fucking Saturday morning, I swear to God, and you don't know 
by the end of the day, if you're going to be in a hospital or sitting at home with a trophy in your hand, and fuck me, there's no feeling like that. I get goosebumps just thinking oh, about so it. So am I. I've and, uh, never seen somebody so passionate about something in my oh, life. I want no. to race a bike right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. then, I'm telling you. And then sitting there with your little plastic 599 trophy that you fucking won. <laughs> that's yours. The most prized possessions I have. And the first motorbike race I ever had, I remember fucking bursting into tears in the van on the way home. I was like, that was, like nothing comes close. And I know you shouldn't say it, but like having kids doesn't come close. Having, taking drugs doesn't come close. Like, I mean, these are all, like having kids is amazing. Having partners is amazing. Being in love is amazing. All these things are amazing. But these fucking high spike seconds you can't get them back. You can't get them back. Everything else is a reference to that point. Like, you, you go, when was the best moment of your life? I'm telling you, it was the the 59.8 second lap where I won that first race in the Mondello Masters Leinster. That was the best. That was it. That was the moment. That's what made everything worth it. That yeah. was the fucking moment, man. Passing that and the fucking look, looking back and no come behind me. Nothing ever felt as good as that. Nothing ever will again. That was fucking it, man. That was it. Oh shit! Really? Yeah. That's oh. a, oh, and that you chased a... that your whole life. The first time I ever sat in the bike was just after my dad died. I remember being in such a bad way when my dad died. Just like you know, as you would be. How old were you, PJ? I was uh, nineties. I was fucking. I was. I don't know. Twenties anyway. Like mid twenties anyway. And I remember, uh, or early twenty twenty-three. And I was sitting, uh, sitting on the Jason board chatting away and he says, ride me bike. I'd never ridden a motorbike properly. I always loved bikes, but never ridden a motorbike. And got on it and I got 30 seconds up the road and I wasn't sad anymore. I wasn't happy, but I wasn't fucking sad. I was thinking about how does the wind feel? What am I doing? It just changed. Everything just changed that second. And then you want to go faster and you mm. want to feel better and better and better. I mean, it is kind of like drugs that way. Mm. And then you end up with all your bones broken in the hospital mm. bed. Well, it but, does make you feel alive, isn't it? Nothing else is going to make you feel alive like fucking it. one lapse of concentration and it's all over. Yeah, exactly, yeah. That's, that's, it. that's it. It's game over. That is it, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then you keep chasing it. And then now I want to just go slow and keep a license but and pipe and slippers. But I still get the same feeling when I get on the bike. Even today, I still get that feeling. Because mm. I heard you had a bad, bad accent before. That's why I was shocked when you came in here early and you had the bleeding gear on you. I was like, he's still fucking around that bike. Uh, I'll tell you a mad one, right? So when I, I, I was in 1999, going through North Strand on the bike, at the bridge there, and... Coming up the bus lane and the lad pulls right out in front of me and the, I could see, if he had just kept going, I'd have missed him. Uh, but he hit, he saw me and hit the brakes and boom, I hit him. Took up out of the sea, straight down near the bus stop. Like, so yeah, if you know at, the area. At James Larkin Flats. It's a long way, yeah. right? Rolling hit. I remember flying through the air and thinking I was, put my feet out to hit the ground and then I saw the car up over my head. So I was upside down and I saw my phone come out of my breast pocket and pass by my face. Uh, and then I hit the ground uh, and I stood up. I don't know how I stood up, but an old lad in North Stram and goes, You should be dead, he said. And then I fell over again. <laughs> and I was lying there and they took me to the hospital. And it was, I remember it was September 1999, right? And they took me to the hospital. Anyway, whatever. I walked out without a bruise. They couldn't find a bruise on me. Not a bruise, nothing, right? Uh, bike was trashed, written off, all my gear done, the whole lot. But they couldn't find nothing. Like it wasn't even sore. It was weird. It was just such a weird crash. And then I met my birth parents, right, in 2003. And I was sitting around to them and I got talking to them. And, one, and then at one point he goes, uh, you know, we thought you were dead. And I went, no. And he goes, yeah, we thought you were dead. So we were in Portugal in uh, September 1999. 
And I turned around to your man and I says, I think he's dead. And she said, so did I. And it was the same time the crash. Now, I know it's just a coincidence, probably, but it's a good fucking story, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you met your bird parents in 2003? Yeah, yeah. How does that come about? Uh, I wrote a letter. I, I went back to the agency and... Uh, Sorry, uh, PJ. Yeah. How did you find out you were adopted? Always knew. Uh, it was the one thing my parents handled perfectly well. Like, they, there was, I always knew. I remember finding out everybody wasn't adopted and thinking you were all weirdos, to be honest. <laughs> I do. I was having a chat with each other, right? And I remember him saying, he was going back to, I, I don't know how it came, it came apparent he was still with his first parents. And I remember thinking, they couldn't find anyone to take him. I felt real sorry for him. <laughs> and I do remember thinking that. They literally couldn't find anyone to take him. You know, I was saying to me, man, oh, there was just, he's still with his original parent, my man saying, oh, that's all, that's normal, that's okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we always knew. So, like, you just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, like, you... Oh, I'm, I have so many questions. So, do you remember being adopted? Or... No, because <laughs> I, was, I was only six months old. Really? I only found this out, by the way, you were the first to this, because I only found this out We love an exclusive ago. now, PJ. Now, this is an exclusive, because I only found out three weeks ago, because so, so in 2022, right, they made it legal that you could get all your yeah. documentation. So, I only got it. Five weeks ago, whatever it is, right? So I've seen for the first time in my life, my birth cert, and seen all the papers and everything about my life, and seen that the foster homes I was in in Santry and in uh, Santry Fingless Temple Hill, the foster I, I've gotten those addresses and everything. I still don't know really what to do with that information, but I have it for the first time in my mm -hmm. life. And then uh, I was in adapted through the agency uh, to to me folks then in Marino uh, after six months. I think it was six months old. Uh, and how did you know? Like just growing up, how I did you know? I always knew. I can't. I, I like, just, did you have? Like, did you then confront them about that and say, "What's the story my, here?" My parents. Yeah. No, I just, I, I can't. I don't really like in the same way. It's like, how do you know how to walk? Or it was just mm. something I always knew. They reinforced it. And my man, fairness to her, was always like, "Whatever you do, you have to go." She used to say, she, she got it right at the start. She was like, "You have to find where you come from. You have to find." You know, the people who brought you into the world and it's important and this, that, and the other. And then I was like, oh, why is it important? She go, because you might marry your sister for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, good point. Well, point yeah, good point. You know, or get into a fight with your brother or, you know, with all this. So, yeah. So that was, that mm. was that, like, but. So then you ended up meeting your birth parents. So I ended up meeting them then in 2003, yeah. And um, I think it was 2003, yeah. And what and, was that experience like? Yeah, I mean, it was all right for me because I had my whole life to prepare for that moment. Whereas they just got a letter in the post one day. And I can only imagine it turned their life upside down. Mm -hmm. um, and like, you know, I, I know the story now. Uh, it's it's kind of, it's their story, so I'm not going to go too much into mm -hmm. that. But I know the story now. I know they just didn't have options. That was just, it was just, it was 1970s Ireland. And, yeah. you know, you're not married. That's just the way it was going to go. Yeah. Uh, so they did what they had to do. And uh, I knew then, I don't know how I knew, because I shouldn't have known that I had brothers and sisters as well. So they got married and had more kids after I was adopted. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, so that was weird. Like, in so in bad times, I would think, you know, fucking hell, what was wrong with me? Again, it was mm. just confirmed, like, you know, so they're all still together and I'm on the outside. What did I do this time, you know? Mm. Uh, but yeah, but I mean, that's not the case. That's just how I thought. You know? Do you think that's where that came from, that sense of fulfillment that you were chasing? Uh, because... Yeah, like, that and everything. Yeah, it was part of it. It was That was the beginning. And yeah. then, 
everything that fed into it as well. And then, you know, with confirmation bias is a big thing. Yeah. Once I decided that was what was real, and was I saw it everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Then no mm. matter what happened, I decided that's me being left out. You know, that's me being shit again. You know, you see what you want to see. You see what you're programmed to see, you know, or what mm. you program yourself to see. I, I know that now. I didn't know it at the time. I was just angry. No, I was just pissed off, upset. Like, like even like I said, even when I was enjoying comedy, it was still an angry way to enjoy comedy. It was mm. still like, yeah, fuck, I know he was the best. Fuck that, yeah. yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? Like it wasn't yeah. lying back in pleasure, you know. Yeah. So, it's, yeah. So like, yeah, it's different, you know. I'm yeah. older now as well. I'm not having the energy to be upset about stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, well, you've only recently had fucking twins. No, I know, yeah. At nearly 50. What a fucking agent, like. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I don't think you have much choice. You don't pick him and he comes out. It just happens that way, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's it's mad. I, I know, yeah. Having twins, having becoming a fucking dad. Gee, I, sw- I thought I'd never do it. Like, I thought I'd never do it, you know? I was always, I'll never be able to be in a family unit. I can't handle family units. It always felt like a trap. It felt like something I'd never be able to get out of. And now here I am, in it. I got real emotional there a couple of weeks ago because I'm doing, you know, with the book tour and stuff. And they sent me to do this Eason's conference thing, you know. Uh, and I, was, I got lucky. I was on after the stationary guy, so I was always going to do well. He was <laughs> fucked, you know. Hard, it's hard to do a half an hour on Staples, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> they were on Staples and A4 paper. I don't know, fair play to him for giving it a go, but I knew I was going to win that one. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so I got up after him. Uh, and I didn't have anything planned like you know it was just kind of oh yeah here's me walking whatever. and it was only when I got there this is oh well you do 20 minutes I was like 20 minutes I thought it was like here's the book come down the back yay thanks <laughs> Eason's I thought that was it um, so I was chatting away and trying to make something up as I was talking and it was it only became I only started, dawned on me as I was coming to the end of the speech I went like you know the story of the book is kind of about a fella who wants to find a home you know because the first I didn't have a home at the start the foster homes, they didn't last. Uh, my man and dad, that didn't, you know, really work out to the, the best of its capabilities. And then school didn't work out. And then, oh, you know, I, I wrecked a marriage because my head was wrecked and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a great partner. And I was like, I've always, I've never been able to find a home, you know. And then I was on stage and it suddenly dawned on me, this is the first time I've ever gone to work, ever. And then been off to get off stage and go home. It never happened before. It's mm. going to be to walk through a door and have a partner there and two kids there. And things were all right. And it wasn't mad. And it was predictable. Nothing fucking mental was going to happen. I know he wasn't going to do anything fucking stupid, which is, you know, a big realisation on my part. It was the first time I ever walked into a home. And, uh, you know, so I've learned to appreciate that over the last couple of weeks. But that was it. That's just three weeks ago, you know. Mm. How did you, what was it like when you found out you were having twins? Oh, man, scared the shit out of me. Like, we were sitting there and... We went for the fourth scan. Yeah. Oh. And they say it to you. So they give it a scan, you see the baby, and they're like, I was going to check there's not another one in there. That's. <laughs> so we have a little girl, but I remember being there, and I remember thinking, like, I'm fucking, like, I was like 20. And I remember sitting there being like, I don't know what I'm fucking doing here. Do you know what I mean? I'm looking at this bleeding blob on the screen, and it's all my fault. What am I going to do? And then your one goes, I was just going to check there's not another one in there. And I swear to God, it's bad to be. I don't think I would have made it out of Rotunda. Yeah. And that's the thing in the rotunda. We did the first scan, it was like that, and it was only one. Mm. They didn't see two. Right, well then... So we went home, and Kelly starts going, oh, I just didn't know how to tell you if it was going to be twins, because she's a twin. So, you know, it kind of runs... I thought I skipped a generation. So did I. <laughs> <laughs> so did I. So did I. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Joe, that's a myth. Yeah. 
so that's a load of bollocks, right? Uh, and then we went back for the next scan, whatever. The next one is, you know, the weeks. And we went in and she was doing the scan. She goes, oh, did they tell you they did? And I was like, what? And she goes, that there's another one. And I laughed. I started laughing. And no one laughed back. And then Kelly goes, are you all right? Are you all right? Are you okay? Oh, she's like, are you okay? And she's American. Are you okay? Are you sure? Oh, my God. Oh, shit. Are you okay? Please tell me you're okay. I was like, and I just couldn't move. I was like, oh, 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 fuck. Oh, yeah. And then I got a mad headache and we got sick and all. Oh, Jesus. But, uh, and then we were like, we better go and tell your man that. Like, I never met him. I never even spoken to him. You know, I never, nothing, all they knew, I was saying on the late, late the other night, the only things they knew about me was I had a mental breakdown in a fight with Conor McGregor and I dressed up as a woman. That was it, <laughs> they, that was all they knew about me. And then we have to go home. And then we, I was there, we're not doing this in the house. I was there, I need a point. So I'm sitting there with a fucking smidix and looking at an iPad going like, oh, or, or her iPhone. And I'm like saying for the, her dad for the first time. So how are you? He's like, he was very quiet. Like, well, he must have been thinking, what the fuck is she doing? You know, <laughs> but they were lovely. Like, they were great. They were great. But, oh man, what a day. And then I was, I was, oh, I had a mad headache all day and I was getting sick. And Kelly was saying to me for a while, are you okay? And then she was like, I'm the one that's pregnant, you know, whatever. She starts going, you're a whiny little bitch. She starts going. <laughs> and then we were like, okay, this is going to be good. Let's make, like, let's make this, you know, mm. let's do what it is. Let's do it. It is what it is. Let's, we're going to make the most of this. It's not like we didn't think it was going to happen. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not like you thought you can't have babies if you have sex. Like we knew this was yeah. very much a possibility. So, uh, <laughs> so like, uh, mind you, I did get the fucking vasectomy two weeks after the kids arrived. I was like, right, just that's... in case, that's yeah, yeah, done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One and done, but I'm very well, yeah, well, two. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm mad about, I'm mad about them, but I do still feel like I don't know what, like I don't know what I'm doing. Like, mm. You know, she's the adult. Like she yeah. knows what she's doing. Like oh, fucking, uh, she asked me to pick something up underneath the, the swing today or whatever it was. I was like, what swing? The baby swing. I was like, we have, I didn't, I don't know, we have babies. So she's like, we live in the house in North Strand. It's not like it's in the fucking playroom. It's where you sit. Like it's yeah. at your feet, you know. So I still, I don't know where anything is or what I'm doing or like, but you know, we're getting on, we're yeah. getting there. Like they're going to the States now as well for Christmas. They're going to leave early because it's just too hard on Kelly. I'm so busy and she's spending so much time on her own. And mm. so they're going to go over to Boston and then I'll follow them over at Christmas yeah. and, yeah. Friend of mine only had twins there recently as well, and I was like, "Yeah, mate, I'd get the snip if I was in." That's that's it. You don't need any more now. You have two to get a bang. That's yeah, yeah. One, like. and, and honestly, if we had two babies that were like her, we'd be grand. Yeah, but he man, his demonic possession. Like I've never seen a kid like. Yeah. <laughs> like if someone walks past the house with raw meat and all, he goes mental and everything. <laughs> 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 that's, that's what I'm saying as well. We don't keep him in the pram. We keep him in the cage with a blanket over it. <laughs> Like, <laughs> even sleeps like that. <laughs> Gonna have to take her over a problem and him on the lead. Well, I gotta leave the woman alone for fuck's sake. <laughs> like he is just something else. Like, oh, and he's so much bigger than her. He's wearing six. He's ten weeks old. He's wearing six month old clothes today. Six months. That's not normal. Like. <laughs> Like she's like this lovely girl, this normal baby, and he's just like, <laughs> like it's just he has to be seen to be believed. And he looks like me, exactly like me. That's what I keep saying. You get what you put into the world, right? So Kelly is 
so oh. fucking like Kelly's so she got her shit together. She's a scientist. She's like so together. She's balanced. She's planned. That's why the daughter is exactly like her. That I am a fuck up. That's why he is like. <laughs> like, like <laughs> Yeah, like he'll he'll get better in time. Like you know, he's a lovely kid, he's a lovely boy, and he's all that. But my God, you get what you put into the world, man. Fucking it's all coming back to me. Like, oh, that's <laughs> fucking hilarious! I swear yeah. to God. Oh yeah, he's great. Though. Holy shit! Oh, he's a different kettle of piss altogether. He's brilliant. Uh, PJ, you touched on saying that you had a mental breakdown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What was that like for you? What like? Yeah. What was the build up to it like? The build up was. I mean, how can I put it? I mean, so I was hiding mental problems I had from when I was a teenager. I never told, any, and I mean, I never told anyone, right? Like nobody, like even uh, the only person I told was maybe my partner. So that was it. Like I never told anyone. Uh, I was really ashamed of it. Like, I don't even know why, but I was, right? So, uh, so, and I got into this t sort of rhythm, I'd say, over the years where I'd start to feel a little bit bad. I'd take some tablets. So I'd feel a little bit better. I'd stop taking the tablets and I might get two years out of it. Like, mm -hmm. honestly, it was just going like that. So I thought, oh, I'm all right. It's no big deal. And honestly, I started to know the signs. I started to see the signs coming. I'd know if I was having a bad day or if I was a little bit, little bit more than that. So I'd start taking the tablets and do the thing. And I was on this loop for years, years and years. Uh, so I kind of stopped worrying about it. And then uh, I got into that loop again and it just started to get, it just wouldn't go away this time. And I suppose the most, the, the way I can sort of, the best way I can kind of put it was, I, I just realised, okay, I'm not feeling good. And then I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sick. And I started doing this thing where, because I started saying, oh, if I can get to the next, to the end of next month, I'll probably be grand. You know, I, I'll do something then, I'll probably be all right. And then it was, I'll get to the end of the week. Uh, and then it was, I'll get to the end of the day. And then it was, I can't get to the end of the day. And then it was, just try to get through this hour. Then minute, then every fucking second was just torture. And then I was in Phoenix Park one day walking and I, I felt my knees. I just felt my knees. I was like, I can't fucking take this anymore. I thought to myself, I, I, don't, I just don't want to exist anymore. Like, I just don't want to be here. And I, I just wanted, I just wanted to, to be dead from that moment. I just wanted to be dead. Uh, and even actually before that, that was just when, I, actually before that, uh, and then when I it was only the sort of realization that I was gonna have to do something about it was when I, I sort of went down in Phoenix Park, and uh, yeah, I, and then I, I remember when I started thinking I'm going to kill myself, I started feeling a little bit better, because uh, it was like it was an end in sight, but only if I focused on that, only if I focused on that. Uh, so sort of the way I could get through my day was nearly fantasizing about what I was going to do to myself and self-harming and how to get off the planet, basically. Uh, and I couldn't fucking break that loop. And I mean, that's all I thought about, all day. In the same way that you can sort of sit here and talk about anything you want and you're thinking about being somewhere else or what you're going to do later or what you're going to eat your dinner. I was just could not break that loop. I was never present. Uh and I, it got to the point then, they were tell, I was going into the psychiatrist, he was calling me every couple of days. Uh, I was on every kind of medication you could you could believe at this point. I was on sedatives, I was on benzos, I was on absolutely fucking everything at this point. Not to try and make me better, but to just try and take, you know, something, some weight off, that was it. And they were saying, you have to go to St. Pat's, and I just thought, I won't go to St. Pat's, I'm not going to hospital, I'm not going to hospital, no matter what, I wasn't going to go to hospital, I'd rather be dead than go to hospital. Because I still thought being alive and ashamed would be better than being dead. 
She's ashamed fucking again, just chasing me. And I still just thought being, being ashamed is worse than being dead. There's no fucking way. Yeah, I wouldn't do it. And then I woke up one day and I, I knew this was the day I wasn't going to see the end of it. Like this was the day. And I knew what was going to happen and how that day was going to go. And it was all in my head. I, I had, that was it. I'd, I'd seen me last night and uh, it was half four in the morning. I picked up my phone. There was a message from my friend, Stephanie Preisner. And it was, no time is too late, late or, or early if you need that at all. Just give me a call. And I don't know why I called her, but I did. And she says, come round to me now. And I remember sitting in the car with her and rocking. Like, you know when you see animals caged and just rocking, just like rocking forward and back. Just going, I fucking can't take it. I fucking can't take it. And she just kept saying, all your needs are met. Whatever it is, all your needs are met. I don't know when, but you will feel better. You will feel better. You will feel better. I'm going to help you. We're going to find you. You're going to go to the hospital. And it was like, you know, it was kind of at the point I had to. And I accepted it and I would go to the hospital. I thought you could just say, yeah, and then walk into the hospital. <laughs> you call the hospital, they go, yeah, we'll, we'll have a bed in three weeks. I was like, oh, fucking hell. Like, I have to do three weeks mm. of this. Uh, and literally, like, you, you can't get through the day. Um, and then the maddest thing, the fucking Irishness of it all. As soon as they rang and says, you have a bed, I remember thinking, oh, I'm taking a bed off someone else and don't think I'm sick enough for this. Mm. That's the first thought. I don't think I'm sick enough for this. Someone else needs this bed. Because to me, in my head, everyone in there was really like as bad as you can possibly be. I thought like, you know, I grew up watching American TV shows where see the inside of a mental hospital or an asylum, as they call them. And people are in straight jackets and mm. banging their heads off walls. And I, that's what I thought I was going into. I thought I was never getting out. That's what it was. It's nothing like, it's, it couldn't be less like that, you know. Uh, and I went in, I just, I gave it a go, I went in and I mean, it's unbelievable how fast the change room was. I, re I still remember those early days. I remember seeing the room and thinking I'm never getting out of this room and walking down the corridor and walking through the ward and the people on the ward saying hello and oh man, the, 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 it was just, oh, I don't know what I was thinking. I was just, wanted to just not be alive so much. Like, I mean, wanted, like the way you want to have a point on a hot day, that's how much I just wanted to not exist, you know? And uh, uh, yeah, and then I had a few real rough nights in there, like real rough nights where they wanted to move me onto a, a different bed that they could see me 24 hours so I wouldn't be left in my own care. And I, I kept begging them to please not let do it and uh, started taking the meds, playing the game, did everything they told me to. And then in a really quick amount of time, and I mean like a couple of weeks, stuff started to change. They changed the meds, took me off all the, um, the benzos and, all that sort of stuff. And then uh, started mixing things around, keeping an eye on me, got me active, got me moving, got me walking every day, started getting me, you had to go for walks with other people. I always think, I remember going for walks with all the, I looked there, it's, you'd be out with 10 other people walking around town, you know, with, with your carer or with not your carer, but whatever they are, just, you know, someone looking after you. And they're people you'd never normally be with. We must have looked like some mad religious cult walking around together. You know, people, I mean, stop being like, what do you say? Oh, yeah, yeah. Are you doing any gigs? I'm there going, no, I'm not doing any gigs. <laughs> In the middle of COVID, no one around or anything. Uh, and uh, yeah, and then after a few weeks, six weeks or whatever, I was starting to really come around. And then eight weeks, I was starting to feel good. And then I remember being too afraid to leave the place. Feeling fucking brilliant then all of a sudden, and then thinking if I go out, I'm gonna, go, I'm just gonna go back into this loop. That was a safe space. For that me was the now. safe space, yeah. Mm. 
and they keep making you do all this mindfulness stuff, you know. And I'm not very good at any of that, right? That's just I just not very good at that. Like, and I, you know, I'm sitting in there, and they were saying, "Think of a perfect place," and you know, I'm thinking of Crow Park and all. <laughs> like, you know, things you think of. People are thinking, people think of like desert islands and you know, part of. I'm there. Oh yeah, yeah, Hill Sixteen and all in the final and everything. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not taking. I can't take it seriously. I, I wasn't able to do it. Uh, and it was only since I got out that I now I can do it. And the perfect place, what I think of now that makes me relaxed is the room in the mental hospital. That's my perfect place. Weirdly, that's become my thing. If I want to relax, I think about that room. I remember lying there and the feeling of the laptop on my chest, watching TV and the pillow and the, the light coming in the window and the door and hearing the others talking outside and knowing someone's coming in to check on me. And that's my safe place now, you know? I love St. Pat's. Like, I know not everyone has a... 100% experience good in there but man for me I, like it's li it literally is the reason I'm still around you know I, mm. I can't speak highly enough for the place a lot of people bash the services and all I know I'm very privileged I got to go there most people don't get to go there I do know that but like if you can get the service it's great you know mm. uh, were you on the radio when this was all going on at the start yeah and it was so obvious there was something wrong like I mean it was so obvious there was something wrong and I remember thinking if I lose my job then because for me, the only value I had in my whole life was I, I had a, was working Radio Nova. I love Radio Nova. Like, I was there. I love it, you know. I love going in there. I love working with Jim. Jim's a fucking brilliant fella. And the, one, I was, the only value I had was this job. I love this job. And uh, I just thought, if I say, look, in my mind at the time, if I tell them I'm mental, I'm going to lose this job. And then I won't be able to pay for that. And the people who are dependent on me aren't going to be able to do that. And I won't be able to feed myself or them or, ah, oh, you know, catastrophe, catastrophe, catastrophe. And as soon as I tell my boss, Kevin, that I'm suffering like this, he's going to come up with a way to get rid of me. Because how the fuck am I supposed to come into a breakfast show that's coming, tell everyone it's okay to wake up in the morning when I don't not believe it's okay to wake up in the fucking morning? How am I supposed to tell other people it's okay to wake up? He knows this. He's going to sack me. He's going to get fucking rid of me. And I went in and I told him and he... He just goes, whatever you need, we're right behind you. <laughs> he handled it amazing. Like, he didn't even ask me what, what it was. I just said, hospital, he didn't even ask me what it was. He just says, we're right behind you. Every time I rang him from the hospital, shit and saying, it's going to be another two weeks, whatever it takes. I rang him once, it's going to be another three weeks after I'd done that four times already. <laughs> He's like, whatever it takes. You know, they couldn't have been better to me. They just couldn't have been better to me. And then, even when I came back in the home care package, like, you know, because that's the thing, you leave hospital, you don't just... They don't open the door and let you out. Like they keep your bed and they're checking on you every day and ringing you and making sure that you you're okay. They told me not to go back to work. I just wanted. I really wanted to mm. get back to work. I knew that was the place I I had to be. And uh, yeah, and at this time, and then I'm having the time of my life, you know, and so much so that I hadn't felt good in so long. I thought I was having a manic episode. So I went back to the psychologist. I think I'm. I think I'm going the other way. I think I'm going fucking spare now. I'm so happy about everything. And he goes, Yeah, no, you're just happy. Don't worry. Like you know, <laughs> he goes, Like are you spending loads of money? No. Are you doing really risky shit? No. Are you doing you know a whole checklist? He goes, You're not having a manic episode. You're just happy. Like enjoy yourself. Like and you hadn't felt that way in so long. Feels, like, I just yeah. hadn't felt it for so long. It felt alien to me. And then mm. I went the other way. So then the first fucking bad day I had, I thought, oh, I'm going back to the hospital. Um, and it was, oh no, it's just a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> so I sent it to Jim. I, used to, I said to Jim, oh, I'm not feeling good. And he goes, ah, oh, here, you're not going mental again, eh? He said to me. <laughs> and I remember laughing my head off and thinking, okay, well, obviously I'm all right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if I found that funny, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. obviously all right, yeah. When did you first 
publicly speak about it because everybody knows now, like, you're a huge mental health advocate, like, and coming from somebody like you, like, it's so powerful to so many people. I don't even know if you would have really realised that until uh, you spoke publicly. No, I didn't. And that was the point, what you're saying. That was the whole point. I, so, I was I was lying, right? I was lying my fucking arse off about it. My whole thing was the lie. No one is to know why I disappeared off the face of the earth for three months. No one's to know. That's the fucking main thing. No one's... As if nobody knew something was wrong. Mm. Like, you know, and if it was so obvious I'd had a mental breakdown. Because if I had a bad heart or a bad leg or a bad back, I just says I have a bad heart, a bad leg or a bad back, you know. And, and then you just disappear for three months, come back. All right, yeah, grand. No one says that. Okay. And you just carry on. <laughs> so everybody fucking knew. But I was still asking people to lie for me. And then, uh, I, I, then it was just getting stupid. Like, I had to say something, you know. Had to say something to, to the colleagues in Nova, and I had to say something to the people who were texting, the listeners texting the show. Well, I suppose I didn't have to, but I felt like I owed someone an explanation. I felt like I owed an explanation. And I thought, right, I'm not going to make a thing out of this. <laughs> I'm going to say it once. So me and Jim do a podcast. I'll do it late, late, and I will never talk about mental illness or health ever again. That was what I thought, right? Get it out there. It's done. It's gone. No one will give a shit. Fuck me. I went out and did it. And for the next four days, it was in the front pages of all the papers. Like, it, it just wouldn't die. It just kept coming back. Did the, like, the, the Saturday, it was huge. The Sunday papers. Then there was the columns on the Monday, I remember. Then there was the, the throwover stuff, the link, because other people had come out. So it was other people saying their stories. That was on the Tuesday into the Wednesday. I was like, this is not dying. And I know it sounds like an exaggeration. Well, you probably know from this podcast. Mm. But, like, that, you, you open your messages on Instagram and Twitter and, like, I'm thousands, yeah. thousands and thousands and thousands of messages. People telling me their story. Yeah. What had happened to them? What had happened to their dad? What had happened to their ma? What had happened to like alcoholism, addiction, eating disorders, schizophrenia, psychosis, addiction. Oh, everyone telling me all these stories. Because I, I was so, um, I, I, I didn't want to say, I don't like the term mental health. It's mental illness, you know. We weren't, weren't, it's sickness, you know. And uh, once I said that, it was just everyone, everyone saying it. And even then I was still fucking lying. I was still covering up the mental Ill illness in my family and still not talking about the alcoholism in my family. That's only very recently. Even then I was still covering that up. Like when I think about it now, I was still fucking lying. Mm. And then, uh, yeah, and that was when I realised this isn't this isn't going away. Like this is not going away. Mm. Uh, I, I thought I was just going to go back to talking about rescue dogs, but I've never <laughs> been a rescue dog. I have been in the mental hospital. So yeah. I guess this is the thing now. So... It, it just shows though how many people are out there struggling. Like you said, we do know from the podcast yeah. when somebody opens up or if we open up on the podcast and we, it opens that kind of worms and everybody then can relate when, even if it's not just one specific thing like addiction or like whatever, they they can relate to struggling mentally yeah. and not wanting to live and... It it when we get people talking about it, especially people of your stature and your scale, like yeah, and the they fact that you're you this jolly struggle. fella who's energetic and mm. like you put the radio on first thing in the morning, six o'clock in the morning. Hell yeah, 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 yeah. PJ, yeah, that's that's you know it. I mean? You know, like you're, you're, like, you're covering this fella suffering. Yeah, and you'll do anything to cover up. Yeah, not being well. Yeah, and I think so many people might like lads my age, like middle sort of middle aged men, I suppose, who they're never going to just stick 70 quid in their pocket to go and see a therapist every week. They can't afford it, you know? Mm. Kids or a missus or might be the sole earner and saying, I need, I need the fucking money. You know, the way we were going to pay the bills. Well, I'm going to actually spend it on this lad who's going to like teach me how to be a better man. Like, they're not going to do it, you know? They're not going to fucking do it. They're the lads who end up going out and 
not being around anymore because they really feel everyone's better off without me. Like, mm. if I'm gone, this gets better. That's that's genuine. If, and if I'm saying this now and people are, are hearing those words and they think those words are true, I'm fucking telling you, lads, it's not true. It's not fucking true. I swear, lads, it's bullshit. Please don't say that to yourself. Don't do it. I'm telling you, it's bullshit. And it's those lads who I'm trying to talk to. And you know, it, it's, it's fucking, I'm not going to do the whole, it's okay to talk to some bollocks to that. So many people say, ah, if you have, are you okay? Do you ever need that? Let me know. It's bullshit. If you know someone's struggling, make a fucking effort. And now people say to me things like, I'm going to help you. If you don't tell me what you want, I'm going to break into your house and fucking clean it. That's what the shit I get off mates now. You know, yeah. mates really, you know, I'm doing something for you whether you like it or not. So you tell me what it's going to be or I'm going to do it. I'm meeting you Friday for a coffee. I'm not around. You fucking are around. This is why people treat me now. And I, that's the way you should be done. That's what I think. If you know someone's struggling, you think that's, you need to be forceful. I yeah. would have I silenced myself into the grave, you know? Yeah. I've, uh, I've one or two people close to me around your age who are going through a similar thing. And I think even if they can't afford it, they probably still won't want to go to talk to somebody or anything because it was kind of instilled in you as a generation that, like, man up and fucking... Shut up. Yeah. I put it in the... I was talking to a friend of mine. He goes, I just... Oh, no, I'm grand. I, I never have mental health problems. I just put it in the box and stick it in the attic. He goes, that's... That's, that's a, a mental health problem. Yeah. <laughs> that's literally not how to deal with your problems. <laughs> like, mm. And he goes, oh, it's worked for me so far. And they're going, telling you, man, I'm looking at you now. It doesn't work. Mm. Uh, you know... And it, and it is a generation of silence there. And mm. it, it's because they're not, they, I really do feel certain, lads are afraid they're going to let other people down. Uh, I know it's like, you get told a lot of the time, oh, toxic masculinity, or you're going to be, oh, it's too much, or you stop being so brash about it, or don't be so proud. It's not that, it's fear of the people around you. You fear you're going to hurt the people around you by helping yourself, you know, and you won't. I know that because I've done it now. All you do is make everyone's life better. When you're better, everyone's better, you know? Mm. When you're better, everyone's better. Like, when you have a smile on your face, you get through it. You get through fucking out. I remember talking to Willie White, who you had in the podcast. I remember listening to something he was saying. He says, yeah, he was talking to a guy who was in prison, and he says, can you be happy in here? And the guy goes, yeah, you can be happy anywhere. And that really resonated with me. It was like, you can be happy anywhere, and you can survive anywhere. You know, you can it's hard to fucking accept when you're miserable, but you can. Because, you know, when you're sick, yeah, what you do is you go, uh, you try to remind yourself why you should be happy, you know? So you go, why? I've no reason. I've got a motorbike and I've got a missus and I've got kids and I've got a car and I've got the house. And yeah, it's hard, but I have all these things and everybody else would like these things, so I should be happy. And then you go, see, you have a house and you have a car and you still can't be happy, you're miserable, fuck. You're not worth anything. You could have everything in the world, you still wouldn't be happy. You're useless, you know? The, depression is the most articulate liar you will ever have in your life. It's a voice in your ear, on your shoulder all day. All, it finds every great reason in the world to tell you why you are a piece of shit that shouldn't be your life. That's what it does. And it's really good at it. And when you try and argue back, you lose. You, you won't win. You're not going to fucking win against that voice. You can't. It's too practiced. It's there all the time. You can't win. So you just got to let it happen. Take your tablets, do your therapy and, and let it, you know, beat it, you know. Beat it with you. Beat it. <laughs> you will. It's powerful that, PJ. It is, it's powerful. I think a lot of people is going to take something from it. It makes you feel a bit emotional now. You mm. just sit there and like, fucking mm. hell. Like, like that's, you know, uh, I talk too much though, that's my problem. No, <laughs> you definitely don't. You just said the right amount there, I think, yeah. about that topic, I think. Um, PJ, the book, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, so stop me if, if I'm not. <laughs> it's in kind of two parts. Yeah. You began writing it, then there was a, a pause. Yeah, that's because I got sick, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
So what was the motivation before it? Because I'd imagine the plans all changed after yeah. that episode. Yeah, so the motivation was we'd written the live show Madhouse, we'd written the theatre show, and we were going to write a book based on that, which was just going to be purely on the experiment, you know, that I grew mm. up in with the six lads in the house. That was that was what the book was going to be, and nothing else. It was going to begin and end there, and then it would end where I started my comedy career, and we'd leave it at that. That was what the book was. That was the deal I did uh, with Penguin. And I rang them and says, I can't do it. Look, again, I didn't even explain to them. Just, I can't do it. And they were very understanding. They obviously knew something so was very yeah. wrong and whatever. And my mom was sick at the time with cancer and all of that as well. So I suppose people don't argue when you have these things. Uh, and then I went into the hospital and recovered. And I remember coming out and thinking, oh, fucking, I was kind of really enjoying this process, you know, and it's still a story I'd like to tell. It's a story I've been trying to tell for years. And... Uh, rang Penguin and it's just on the off chance much like Naked Camera on the off chance would you still be interested in that and they were like yeah absolutely I was there going okay there's a bit more <laughs> was there, a bit more has happened since then <laughs> and uh, yeah and my partner's pregnant and by the time it comes out I'm going to have babies and they were like oh yeah well like you know more chapters is never a problem so uh, so we went back at it so people say how long were you writing the book for years there was mm. no I mean years like years and years and years uh, which is gas when you think it's only a five and a half hour audio book or whatever. Yeah. You think it'd be longer than that. <laughs> but, uh, but years, so yeah. But, and it is in two parts. So it's kind of that, the childhood, and then it gets to the point of going into Pats and it's a totally different book after that. Mm. Yeah, so you're right, it really is. It's, I mean, half of it is 40 years and the other few bits is the last two, you know? The other mm. half is just the last two, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so it changed the plan and everything that went on after it you know because yeah. I went spare I never denied myself and I don't deny myself anything anymore you know sort of whatever I, I'm up to all sorts these days yeah <laughs> yeah yeah ma passed away as well Jordan the writing of it did she yeah she's dead a year yesterday yesterday she, yesterday yeah was her anniversary yeah so yesterday was a bit of a weird day um, has it not yeah. been a year since you were on the Late Late Show as well yeah it was all it's, it's all weird right so it's a year yesterday since my ma died. It's nine years to the day last Friday that I'm on the radio. My kids were 10 weeks old the day I was on the Late Late. All happened at the same weekend. Uh, the book came out that Tuesday. All of it, within four days, it all happened. So like the that. first time you were on the Late Late there yeah. last year talking about this. Yeah. Your ma passed away a few days later. She passed away Yeah, very soon after, yeah. I didn't think about it like that. Yeah, very soon after it must have been, yeah. Fuck. Yeah, well, I I'm not sure when that late late appearance was. Well, maybe Be it was just over a year then. Because I've seen the thing. Because obviously we're on the late late last Friday. Uh, it was like one year on from his previous appearance on the yeah, late yeah. late show. It's like a comparison to how well you're doing now. Yeah. And what the impact had the first time. And but, sure, Kelly wasn't pregnant then, and my mm. man was still alive. And then it's mad, twelve months it? later, you got back on, and I've I've no man, I've two kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what a year, you know. Yeah. And a book. <laughs> So but that's like, yeah. like, this is the know. thing as well in the way the message that you're trying to get out to people like things can change like that in a heartbeat you know what I mean in a heartbeat yeah your whole life can change like yeah in, in a week never mind mm. a year yeah it, it, it's it's it, there's a, just a weird synergy to it you know this same week that it's all happened now I'm sitting yeah. here with you it's still the same books out a week tomorrow you know it's uh, it's just yeah, it's a really weird time. Like every, everything happening at once. It's quite, and you kind of have to pinch yourself. You kind of have to brace yourself and say, "Is this all happening, or a, mm. you know, is it all moving too fast? You know, like is everything happening too fast? And uh, maybe it is. Uh, but that's all right. 
Yeah. So I'll blow it out till Christmas and then I'll take a big rest in the new year. How did you feel when you released the book after putting everything in it? Because obviously it gets deep and the, everything I, is out on the table and yeah, it's all just out, out of the bottle. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Like that, I, I was telling you earlier, like it was grand. I was all into it and no problem until I read the audio book in the studio because that's the first time I read it. You know, hmm. sat down, you read bits, pieces and you go through it and you know, you're flying, you pick it up and you know, yeah, read a bit in the car and then you try and do another bit and you go through it. But it was not, you know, to have a, an allotted time period where you sit down and you and read it yeah. and you read it out loud and you're watching the face of another man reacting to it, you know, the sound man. Now, and that's when it was going, Jesus, you shouldn't have done this. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, there's way too much in this. You shouldn't have said any of this, you know, but that's just jitters, like, that's just nerves, you know. Uh, and like, everything is it, like, everything's in it, you know, yeah. everything is in it. Yeah. Like, uh, so. Because so, and I think I started right. I was going right. Uh, I was wanting to still hold back bits and stuff. No, because you know if any of this comes out now, like someone might say you left out, well, you left that out, whatever. Mm -hmm. You left out the way you your relationships and you left out your politics in the past. And I was always like, no, it's all going in. Everything's going in. So yeah. it all went in. And uh, yeah, when it, I was real nervous, like Laura, who's here now, like I, I remember the first, before we go, she's, you know, the publicist, she's doing all the work for Penguin. I remember freaking out to her going, we think I'm off to making a mistake or whatever. <laughs> no, you're, you're grand. Should <laughs> <laughs> they look, if there's any questions you don't like, we'll do our best to get them knocked out. <laughs> but, but it's gone okay, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Everyone's like, the, the reception so far has been very good. Yeah, I, Irish Times. It's funny. I slag off the Irish Times in the book. I say I, I couldn't get into the Irish Times if I shot someone on O'Connell Street, and they've just done the review of it today. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, maybe if I shot someone, I wouldn't. But if you write a book, you get into the Irish Times. Was it a good review? Very good it? review. They yeah. were nice. They were very nice. Yeah, yeah, they were very nice to me. In fairness, yeah, fair play to them. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's out now wherever you can get books. Basically. Everywhere, anywhere there's books. Yeah, Amazon, yeah, yeah. Audible, all of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I think we're coming to the end now, PJ. Yeah. yeah, I can't wait to finish the book. I'm gonna go home and read the rest of it. I'm going to be in bed, but yeah, saying it the only way over. Yeah. I was betting, but I just didn't get to finish it. I'm near it, but I can't wait to read the ah, rest of it. So, the last yeah. few chapters are shy. <laughs> <laughs> I won't bother. All the good stuff is gone. Well, <laughs> read but, as far as hell's angels leave it. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody, get the book, Madhouse. And uh, yeah, is that an else you have coming up? You want to plug while you have PJ? Yes, uh, yeah, there is actually the two bigger street shows on the fourteenth and twenty. Oh, I forgot the dates. Twenty fifth. Google them. But <laughs> <laughs> born lucky. Google born lucky in Vicar Street yeah. in November. April. They're both in April. In April. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, miles away. You'd be yeah. grand. Yeah. 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 before then. Yeah. <laughs> Google them. Yeah. Born lucky PJ Gallagher. Google that. You'll get the dates. It's in Vicar Street. It's, we, think we know it's that April. much. It's in Vicar Street, so yeah, get your tickets for that as well. It's one of the 30 days in April, so we have a, we have a, a narrow window there we can get it down there. <laughs> Look, PJ, you're a legend. Thanks very much. No, for thanks for having yeah, me. That's honestly, I really appreciate it. No, I appreciate you coming in, PJ, yeah. and uh, go easy going home on the bike and anyways. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, we got a backer off you. Yeah. going down, down that way anyways. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, we'll wrap this one up, Terry. Yeah. Yeah, take us out there, Alan. Boom. Subscribe to this podcast for free on the Go Loud app. What you waiting for? Put your back in it, just a little more. Oh, you're in it now. Fill your body again. Work it hard and long when you finish that. The hip knocker.